Hi, Saints. Welcome to another episode of Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, here to teach you Bible truth, help you grow in faith, and walk in God's amazing grace. Today's message is entitled Salvation and What It Means for You. This message is an extension of two previous messages I taught entitled, What Must I Do to Be Saved? and The Power of Grace, God's Unmerited Favor. So I want you to sit back, relax, invite family and friends, and let's learn about salvation and what it means for you. Hi, Saints. I want to first and foremost thank you for tuning in and for your support. Now, the message today is about salvation and what it means for you. It is an an extension to two previous messages I taught on. One, what must I do to be saved? And the other is the power of grace, God's unmerited favor. Now, some of you needed some clarification about some things. So I decided to just turn this into a, a sequel if you will. So I hope you will be blessed by this message and I hope you get the information that you are seeking. Now in Job, you don't have to go there. Job chapter 14, verse 14, Job asked, if a man dies, shall he live again? Now that is a very important question and one that many people should be seeking the answer to today. There is no doubt that we are living in difficult and dangerous times. And certainly a person's future with regard to where he or she spend eternal life should be of primary and utmost concern to that individual. Now, one answer to this question is found in John chapter 11 verses 25 and 26. Now in this passage of scripture, Jesus is responding to a statement made by Martha, the sister of Lazarus, a dear friend of Jesus, who had recently died. Martha was bemoaning the fact that Jesus had not there, you know, been there at the time of Lazarus' death. That if he had been there, her brother would not have died. So this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, what is essential to understand here is that Jesus is not talking about natural or physical death. He is, he, he's, he's using this opportunity to state a profound truth that is the underlying fabric of all Christian doctrine. That a man is either spiritually alive or spiritually dead according to the relationship he establishes with Christ. Now, what does it mean to be spiritually alive? Now, when a person confesses or accepts or receives Jesus as Lord and Savior, that person is deemed to have experienced the new birth. He or she is then said to be born again, you know, saved or or has become a child of God. Now, and is thereby called either a born-again Christian or, as is said in, in, in this age, uh, this charismatic community, a born-again believer, okay? <laughs> now, the opposite of saved, of course, is lost. 
Therefore, anyone who, who does not accept or receive Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord is considered a non-Christian, a non-believer, unsaved and or is on their way to hell. Now, a lot of people don't like to hear me talk about that, but Jesus talked about it. And I am a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever he talked about and taught, I will do the same. I'm obligated to do that. So now I want to talk about why is it necessary to confess Jesus in order to be, be saved? Hmm? A lot of you have wondered that, so I'm getting ready to answer that. Now, when God created the earth, he invested the totality of mankind in the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God gave them control over the earth and all that was in it. Now, in one act of disobedience, Adam and Eve rejected God's lordship over them by succumbing to the deception of the devil and eating the fruit of the tree that God has specifically told them not to eat. Now, by this deed, Adam and Eve put themselves and the earth and all mankind whom they represented under the dominion of Satan. Their rulership of the earth passed to him, the devil. Okay. Now, I, what are the two deaths? Now, if you hear paper in the background, it's because I, I'm searching scripture for, for certain scriptures and um, I have notes. Okay. Now, we have two deaths. And I'm going to talk about that. The most tragic thing of all is that not only did Adam and Eve lose their dominion over the earth, but Satan's rebellious nature, called the sin nature, became a part of man's nature, causing mankind to be spiritually separated from God. This spiritual separation is called spiritual death. Okay, being separated from God is called spiritual death. Now, just about everyone knows all too well what physical death is. You know, natural or physical death is the separating of the spirit and the soul from the body. And the secession of existence as a physical and, and material life form on the earth. Now, the body is usually buried while the spirit and the soul are released to ascend to heaven or descend into hell, okay? According to the relationship established with Christ. Not so with spiritual death, okay? When the Bible talks about spiritual death, it is not talking about the end of existence, as most people think death to mean, but rather the meaning is that you, you still exist but you exist apart from God. Now, what is God's solution for man's condition? Now, after the fall of Adam and Eve, our merciful heavenly father, okay? He is definitely merciful, praise God. He furnished a remedy for man's unfortunate condition. He placed that remedy in his son, the second person of the triune Godhead, okay? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus came to earth in human form. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, he provided the redemption necessary for man to enjoy the father-child relationship that mankind was to have was to, was to have had with the Almighty God before Adam sinned. Okay? There was, however, 
one added stipulation. Every person upon reaching the age of accountability, which may be a, a different chronological age for each individual, who is given the opportunity to do so must make a choice between having God as his spiritual father or having Satan as his spiritual head. And the way you do that is if you want God as your spiritual father, you have to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you want Satan to be your spiritual father, whether you are doing it intentionally or unintentionally, you when you reject Jesus Christ, Satan becomes your your spiritual father. There is no in between. You ever heard a, a person say, you know, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in devil. I don't believe in nothing. Okay. They are still a child of God, of not God, but they are still a child of the devil when they say that. Okay. And you ever heard that person say, um, cause I hear it all the time. Well, I don't believe in, 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 uh, in all this different, all these different religions. I just believe in God. And I say, well, my, my brother, you are still going to hell. Because to not believe and receive in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are condemned already. So whether you believe it or not, it's just immaterial. It is. And it really doesn't matter because it's still true. Okay. Now in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ says, Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, Jesus said in John 14, 6, which is my favorite scripture out of this entire Bible, speaking about himself, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Now, from these two scriptures alone, one can see that Jesus is God's way for man to be saved and thereby become spiritually alive to him. Okay. Now, how does one pass from death to life? Now, Jesus said in John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Normally, the cycle is to go from life to death. What is Jesus talking about here? Every person who comes into this world inherits his or her parents' spiritual nature, which their parents got from their parents who got their, na their natures from their parents and so on and so forth, all the way back to Adam and Eve. Now, that nature is a spiritually dead nature. That is why the Bible says passing from death into life. Now, notice the phrase, but has passed from death into life. Has is a past tense word showing that an, an, an action has already taken place. This means that the moment a person confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord, he or she immediately becomes um, the possessor of eternal life, passing from death into ever, everlasting life. Now notice also, and, and shall not come into judgment. Now, to me, it is the most wonderful thing in the world to know that since I have accepted Christ as my personal Savior and Lord, I will not have to come into God's judgment to determine whether I am spiritually alive or spiritually dead or whether I am saved or lost. 
I, it is the most wonderful feeling in the world to be born again and knowing that you are a child of God and you will never perish. Boy, I tell you. Oh, that's why I, I constantly preach this word to you, the gospel, because this world is hurting and Jesus is still the answer. Okay, saints, Jesus is still the answer. Now, I want to make this clear. Neither water baptism, church membership, or confirmation, nor anything else can bring a man into a state of salvation. Only receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord can do that. Okay? And whether you accept that or not, whether you believe it or not, it's still true. Now, everything Jesus did from the cross to the grave, he did on our behalf as our substitute. When he died, we died. When he arose from the dead, we arose from the dead. And when he defeated Satan in his own domain, we defeated him. Jesus brought back for mankind everlasting redemption and salvation. And he made it possible for us to be overcomers in every situation of life. However, we will not receive Jesus total redemptive package until his return at the second coming. Now, I don't want to um, go into a long drawn out commentary about that, but you can read what I just said about us uh, not receiving the total redemptive package until Jesus second uh, coming is in Romans chapter eight, verses 19 and 23. You can um, put that down as a lesson as a study lesson. Okay. Now, can a Christian lose his or her salvation? I taught about that in the past. Now I'm going to clarify and go into more detail. The answer is no, they cannot. Once they are saved, they cannot lose their salvation, but they can forfeit it. Okay. Now I'm getting ready to go into some deep waters here. Put on your hats, baby, your learning hats, put, put your, your Holy Spirit hats on so he, the spirit of truth can guide you through this. But it's all scriptural. Now, the Bible says in Colossians chapter one, verses 19 and 23, I want you to listen carefully. For it pleased the father that in him, talking about Jesus, all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you to the father, the father, God, holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, what I just read is very important, very important, because what I want to make clear is that you can't lose your salvation but according to the Bible, you can definitely forfeit it. Okay. And if you choose to do that, you can never get it back. And if you don't know this, you cannot put forth an effort to make sure you continue walking with Christ. Okay. Now these verses tell us that Jesus through his sacrificial blood 
has reconciled the Christian to the Heavenly Father, who sees the Christian holy, separated from the world, and without sin, because Jesus paid the total price for the Christian to be free from blame and reproof before God. However, we need to find out what, if indeed you continue in faith, is all about, okay? Now, the very fact that Paul said, if you continue, means it is possible that you might not. In other words, there is eternal security in Christ. As long as you stay in Christ, no one can take you out of Christ. I want to make sure you understand that here. No man can take God's grace away from you. No one can steal your salvation from you. Okay. And God will not let you go. However, the word clearly teaches that it is possible for a Christian to forfeit or give up his salvation. Now, an individual gets saved by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay. And that is done by faith. Jesus was and is a gift from God to the world. Therefore, salvation is a gift. There's only one way to obtain a gift, and I talked about this before, and that is to receive it. You have to receive the gift in order for it to benefit you. Now, you cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. And there is nothing you can do to, to come uh, or, or, be, or become worthy enough to get it on your own. The moment you buy something, earn something, or work hard to get something, it ceases to be a gift. Okay? So we can't work for salvation. It's free. Now, it rather becomes a reward for works or it is earned, such as a salary or a uh, commission, which is your compensation if you are working your compensation for the work that's done. Okay? Now, if you did not earn your salvation by doing works, then you certainly cannot lose it by works. Somehow we seem to believe that the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to save us, but not powerful enough to keep us. Now, works are irrelevant and immaterial. You do not go to hell because of your evil works any more than you go to heaven because of your good works. Your destination is hell only if... And because you refuse to receive the gift that God sent to heaven to reconcile mankind to himself. Now, what is the sin leading to death? I was asked. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We have a, a sin that leads to death. And then we have what we call an, un, an unpardonable sin. And I'm going to talk a little bit about both. Now, as I said before, there are two things you can do with a gift either receive it or give it back, which is to repudiate it. Okay. If you were to repudiate the gift, Jesus Christ, knowing exactly what you were doing, that would be the sin leading to death. Talked about in first John uh, chapter five, verse 16. However, there are certain qualifications that have to be met in order to commit this sin. Now, first John five sixteen says this, listen carefully. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. And I do not say that he should pray about that. 
Now, if you know of, of someone who has committed the sin leading to death, there is nothing you can do about that, saints. It's not. And you need to know if it is the sin leading to death so you won't waste a prayer. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. You cannot pray for, for this person. I want to be clear. The Bible says not to pray. The sin leading to death is, is committed when someone uses the same mouth that once confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior and then turn around and say, I don't want Jesus any longer. You know, um, I repudiate him. He is no longer my Savior. Now, that person who has done this and was sincere about it has committed the sin that's leading to death. Oh, yes. And um, it has to be completely, this person has to be a complete and mature and spiritually experienced Christian in order to be guilty of this transgression. Now, when you know a lot spiritually, you are held accountable for what you know and for what you say. Hebrews 6 and 4, uh, 6, 4 through 6 list the qualifiers for committing the sin leading to death. Now, let's read this, and I want you to listen very carefully, and I'm going to explain it after I read these scriptures. Now, let's begin reading at Hebrews 6 and 1 before um, we get to 4 and 6, um, because I, I want to get, give you the full meaning of what is being said here. So I'm going to start at Hebrews 6 and 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to, to, be, to perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from, de from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, let, let us look at these qualifiers a little closer, okay? Number one, you have to be once enlightened. Okay, this is you have to first realize your need to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Okay, number two, you have to have tasted the heavenly gift. That is, after realizing your need, you take the next step and confess and receive him into your heart as demonstrated by a, a turning away from sin and a turning to things to the things of God. Now, three. You have to be a partaker of the Holy Spirit. That is, you have to be spirit-filled, okay? Uh, four, you have to have tasted the good word of God. That is, you have to be operating in faith, the word of God, and all of its ramifications. Five, you have to be operating in the powers of the age to come. In, in other words, you have to be moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in accordance with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 and 10. 
Now, an individual must have all five of the uh, of the above areas working in his or her life in order to be considered a fully mature Christian. Now, if one does not qualify in all five areas, a person cannot commit the sin leading to death. Okay. Now, what is the unpardonable sin? Now, the unpardonable sin is a sin that and uh, that unbelievers commit. It is known as the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, when one blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, there can be no forgiveness, according to uh, Mark three twenty eight and twenty nine. And let's read that because you need to hear this. Okay. Mark chapter three verses twenty eight and twenty nine says, "Assuredly I say to you." All sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies, uh, I'm sorry, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Now, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit is denying the Holy Spirit's witness concerning Jesus as being Savior and Lord. In other words, it would be like shaking your finger in the face of God and saying, I will not accept Jesus as my savior. I will not acknowledge him as the Lord of my life. Okay. Now, since Jesus is God's only way of salvation and a person rejects the Holy Spirit's witness of this fact, how can such a person be saved since he or she rejects the only means of getting to, to the father? Okay. That is why it is called the unpardonable sin. Because you are rejecting the only way to get to God. Okay. Now also attributing to the devil, the works of the Holy Spirit is dangerous. That is what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing that brought the comments of Mark 3, 28 and 29 from Jesus. He was warning these ministers of the law that they were on dangerous ground when they accused him of having an unclean spirit and doing signs and wonders by Beelzebub. And that's another name for the devil. And see, that's why I t often tell people, you better be careful what you are accusing God of when in fact it's the devil. And you better be careful when God is doing something and you think the devil is, uh, uh, is behind it, such as speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is, is associated with the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. So I'm here to tell you, you better be careful. Because you are, you are tread, treading on dangerous grounds and unpardonable, unpardonable sin that you won't be forgiven for. So you better be careful. If you don't know about something, your best bet is to just shut up about it. Okay. And I have heard people say, suppose someone accepts Christ and lives the Christian life for a while. Then he starts yielding to the flesh or, or, or the devil and goes back out into the world living a sinful life again. Now. Th that may be a sad and, and, and certainly a bad thing, but it is not. And I have said this before and people be misunderstanding it. It is not the unpardonable sin, nor the sin leading to death. That's not what that is. Living a sinful lifestyle has nothing to do with the sin leading to death and the un unpardonable sin. Now, someone might say, well, that means you can accept Jesus and live any way you want. No, you can't. Anyone who does this is playing a game with God. People who are, who are sincere about their, their salvation do not accept Jesus on Monday and go back on Tuesday to live the rest of their lives in the world. Now, 
If this happens, it is questionable if such individual really had a conversion experience. This is what Paul was telling the Corinthian church. He questioned their faith because of their behavior. Paul was saying, look, are you in the faith? Because let me tell you something. No one on this earth, I don't care what anyone tells you, can come in contact with Jesus and remain the same. Absolutely not. Even if, uh, if, if you are a, a true believer who is filled with the spirit and you stumble, you will be remorseful about that. You will be convicted because you have that seal of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about phony Christians who confess Christ, but they don't possess him. Because we have a lot of people at the church, but they're not in the church. And y'all who are true Christians know who those people are. Now, if you have someone out there living loose as a goose and have no remorse and they are sitting up uh, in church every time the doors open, that person is not saved. But y what your, your responsibility is, is to get that person to Christ. Okay? Get that person to Christ. They, they, they have people that can say the name of Jesus. Now, I, I'm getting ready to leak something here. I have a powerful message coming up, and I, I want to do it at the end of the year or at the beginning of 2020. It's called, I Never Knew You, A Wake-Up Call for Christians. That is going to be a very profound message because people need to know they ain't saved. Just because you mention Jesus and because you go to church every time the doors open out of obligation, that doesn't mean you're saved. And just because you join a church denomination doesn't make you save. Jesus does. That's why my ministry is about leading you to Christ. Yes, you cannot come in contact with Christ and stay the same. You can't. There will be a transformation. And the transformation starts with the conviction in the heart. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. I thought I would sidetrack there and share that with you. That was not a part of my notes. But when the Holy Spirit tells me to share something, I just have to share it. Now, sometimes people are not taught in the word. You know, they are born again, but they are in a church situation that does not teach them what it means to live by faith, nor what it means to live by the, the fruit of the spirit. So they never learn how to live a victorious overcoming life. They don't. They are up and down like, like a yo-yo in, in and, 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 and out of sin, you know, like they change their, their socks. Now, uh, but always they have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them tugging at their conscience. They may repent 998 times, then go back out and do the same thing again. They do not know how to take advantage of their covenant rights. What these people are really doing is, is living defeated Christian lives. Their witness for Jesus is no good because their lifestyles, okay? Because of their lifestyles, they can't witness for Jesus. They cannot tell anyone about Jesus because no one would believe they really know him. Satan is able to keep them in sickness and disease and poverty and fear, and, and, but their names are still written in the Lamb's book of life. And salvation still belongs to them. These are the people that truly received Christ in their hearts, but they have not been taught. You have to learn how to walk and live 
in, in, in the fruit of the spirit. If you don't, you will let your flesh guide you. That's why I always encourage people to go to a faith-based teaching church so that you can learn how, so how to grow in faith and how to walk in grace. Other than that, you are going to keep falling and following your flesh because you have to learn these things. If you don't know it, you won't, you won't know to do it. If you don't know that God requires us to live holy, you won't do it. And a lot of these churches are after money. They are, look, they are fashion shows. They are lights, camera, action. They are plays. I'm telling you, it is, wow. It's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And, and I've been born again for over 25 years. And um, I, I, I felt my transformation. I was a religious person. I, I bashed and talked about Christians because I had no clue, but yet I was supposed to be one. But I was in a Baptist church that never told me that I had to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning believe that he is alive and well today because salvation is in the resurrection. If Jesus is not alive and, and well and seated at God's hand right now, we are just another religion. And Christ is not a religion. He is a savior. Now, what does salvation mean for you? Being born again or, or being saved is the most important thing in your life. I know it's the most important thing in my life. You should know whether or not you are saved. You should know that everybody should know that. You should know this as well as you know your name or whether you are a male or a female. If you are not sure about your salvation, I urge you to stop right now and clear this matter up because tomorrow is not promised to you, saints. Ask Jesus to come into your heart. Now, don't let another minute go by. Now, I want you to stand by for entering into his presence and an invitation to Christ and my closing remarks. Saints, let's enter into his presence and remain in his presence. Problems are a part of life. They are inescapable, woven into the very fabric of this fallen world. You tend to go into problem-solving mode all too often, acting as if you have the capacity to fix everything. This is a habitual response, so automatic that it bypasses your conscious thinking. Not only does this habit frustrate you, it also separates you from God. Do not let fixing things be your priority. You are ever so limited in your capacity to correct all that is wrong in the world around you. Don't weigh yourself down with responsibilities that are not your own. Instead, make your relationship with God your top priority. Talk with God about whatever is on your mind seeking his perspective on every situation. Rather than trying to fix everything that comes to your attention, ask God to show you what is truly important. Remember that you are en route to heaven and let your problems fade in the light of eternity. Now there are three scriptures I want you to meditate on today, saints. The first scripture is Psalms 32 verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Scripture number two, Luke chapter 10, verses 41 and 42. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, 
You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And scripture number three, saints, is in Philippians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. God wants you to enjoy life, live, love, forgive, and treat everyone you encounter with compassion, dignity, and respect. Now, saints, if you haven't already, I want to extend an invitation to you to accept Christ. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation because tomorrow is not promised to you. Don't wait until your earthly life ends and find out that your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire. Here's the good news. You don't have to go there. You can secure your salvation right now by saying this simple prayer and meaning it. Father God, I am a sinner in need of grace. Your word says that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Right now, Lord, I confess that Jesus is Lord and I sincerely believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead and is seated at your right hand right now. Amen. My friends, if you said that simple prayer, you have just been saved by grace. You are in the body of Christ. You are a believer, a Christian, and most importantly, a child of the Most High God. And you are also considered to be a saint. I want to encourage you to join a faith-based teaching church. Continue to listen to Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. so you can learn what God's will is for you. Grow in faith and learn how to walk in God's amazing grace. Now until next time, saints, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by sight. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. And I hope to see you next time.